Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. We both understand each other. We wake up in the morning and we're talking about our startups. And that probably sounds really annoying to anybody that's listening that's not a startup founder. But being able to wake up in the morning and talk about, you know, something stupid like product market fit or, you know, how this investment call went or like whatever happened. (laughs) It's, It's amazing. Three, two, one. My name is Spree Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hello, everybody. I'm Ulvia Jafarli, a data scientist in Italy. Although I'm living in Rome, originally I am from Azerbaijan. While thinking about how long it took for me to be a tech woman in the technology world, I felt the responsibility and desire to help other women as much as I can. Therefore, I developed the TechDevop platform to support others who want to achieve in technology. Because I believe women have ability to do great things. For us, sharing, helping, developing as one is the most important value. What I would like to emphasize is just do not afraid to fail, do not limit yourself with little success. Think bigger, learn, fail, repeat, experience, and reach the inaccessible. No matter how hard the challenge is, go for it. If not now, then when? To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created getpodcastlisteners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out getpodcastlisteners.com. That's getpodcastlisteners.com. Today's personal spot is about how I just did five podcast interviews back to back, and I don't know how I do it. My introduction for the podcast, like I loved wrestling growing up, so I channel in wrestling, and I combine it with like Steven Tyler from Aerosmith, you know, with the ribbons on his mic and how he goes all crazy. So I like combine it with that. I channel that energy. I stand up when I podcast and I just like do the thing. But man, am I wiped out. It is just past like 620 in the evening and I am about to go to sleep. I am just so like, I can't even believe I made it through the day. Enjoy the episode. Bye. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest, Trisha. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Hi. And you're based in Los Angeles, California, like me. So super exciting to have you on the show. Can you go ahead to kick things off? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. 
Sure. So my name is Trisha. I am CEO of a company called Modern Brands. And you can go to it at modernbrands.com. And what we are is we are building a, uh, for lack of better terms and something I say some people understand is we're building the WordPress for fashion or Canva for fashion. We're basically taking every type of fashion design in the world, digitizing it and putting it forth for people to use as a standard base instead of starting from scratch all the time. Walk us through that a little bit more. Like you have a membership model, like, okay, so going to the site and we're like, we're interested in fashion. Is that the first thing? Like we are interested in fashion. Is that number one? Yes. Okay. And then what happens? You have to be somebody who is either designing fashion, a factory making fashion, somebody who wants to maybe start a brand, but we're not talking about like custom ink. We're not like slap a screen print on a t-shirt type of thing. What we're doing is we're actually, we build fashion brands. So you would come to the site, you would sign up, you would get access to all of the blocks. So far we have about 500 and we just launched our MVP. More are coming. We have a lot more in the works. Um, and you basically start with a base, it's kind of the same way if you go to Canva and you get a, you know, a design for a header or a brochure, you would come in here and you could pick out a really cool uh, summer dress. And then you would go through the whole process of choosing the fabrics, the trims. It shows you options for all sorts of different countries. We now work with Turkey, China. We work in India and we also work with USA and we source all the materials, we do all the patterning, all the tech packs, all of the, everything that goes into creating this garment is kind of put into this system so that you can point and click your way through. You can then go straight to production, but you can also exit out in a lot of different ways, depending on what your company needs. If you were a brand, for instance, that needed to start from scratch and you just were looking for a production vendor, wanted your pricing right away, you could go through the whole process. But maybe you're a brand that's already in the works and you just need a base, like you're a denim company and you want to make a sweatshirt and you don't have a sweatshirt pattern yet. Come here, get a sweatshirt, pull it down. You can download the pattern You can download the tech pack. You can download the 3D file if you want a 3D file. We make everything like really chunked out so that it works in your system instead of forcing you to like come be in our system the whole time. And then we take a lot of this information and we turn it into open source JSON code because we want to interface with all of the new kind of fashion technologies that are building. It's probably surprising to a lot of people, but there are no physical base level products to start with. So for instance, you want to make a denim jacket and your company, you're like, I want to make a denim jacket. What the process is now is you go to the market, you buy a denim jacket, you bring it back and either your pattern maker makes a pattern kind of based off of that and you change it or you send that jacket over to a factory overseas and you say, I want to make a jacket like this, but like this. And that's how you do a denim jacket. And that's how every brand does it. There's no place to just go get like a standard denim jacket file. So that's what we're building. If you're going to the fashion institute or like one of these schools for fashion because i don't know much about fashion would this be an amazing companion to as you're going through school developing your fashion career should should we go to you first i mean you could come to me instead (laughs) (laughs) no it's fine like say it like it is if you're like there's no need to go to those yeah no it's always good to like you know learn how to draft the patterns or how to do this stuff. But in all honesty, 
the the whole reason I'm building this is I spent a majority of my life as a as a product developer. And if you don't know what a product developer in fashion is, it's it's a lot like a product developer in tech. But a product developer in fashion is the person who kind of routes everything. So they take the design, they get the factory, and they get the salespeople, and they get the production people all kind of in order, and they push things through. I did that in technical design for a long time. And a lot of times it's designers and factories. And so designers talk to the factories, we want this. And factories are like, well, we can make this. And then this this whole, it takes six months to develop a collection because there's all this stuff in the middle of figuring it out. And that's kind of when you make anything. It just always struck me as funny that we were constantly kind of making the same thing as the fashion industry. We're always all guided by the trends. Nobody owns pants. Everybody makes pants. You know, it's not like these things are proprietary necessarily. That's not what makes it fashion just because you make a pair of bell bottoms. It's the fabric you make it in, the brand uh, messaging that you do, you know, the quality that you make it in, how you sell it, what you sell. So why are we like always starting from scratch. It drove me crazy. And there's always all these problems all the time. And I'm not saying that our thing like erases all problems in production, because obviously, there's all sorts of stuff that can go wrong as you're producing. But it takes so much time to start from scratch. And I didn't go to fashion school myself. I got accepted to a lot of them and couldn't go because of where I was in my life at that time. When I was young, I didn't live with my parents and all this other stuff. But I got into fashion kind of through a manufacturing way. And I now work with lots of interns from fashion schools and it kind of drives me crazy how much they don't connect what they're designing to like how people actually make it. And I've worked in roles where I've just constantly traveled around the world and seen factories and kind of the most talented people are the ones making the garments in in many cases. And so I'm just trying to fill that that connect for people. And I think if you were going to go to fashion school and you wanted to just focus on the design, well, our system lets you do that. But then if you want to also, you know, get further into it and get into what are the specs, what does the pattern look like? How do we work with the 3D files? Our system has all of that in the back end, but we're definitely doing the hard work for everybody. And what inspired you to create modern brands? Did you just wake up one Wednesday and you're like, I got to create this thing? <laughs> uh, kind of, but it was like many, many, many Wednesdays ago. So um, <laughs> I had a company um, when I was 20 called Potential Fashions, where we took old clothes and cut them into new clothes. It's now like this whole cool trend, but back then it was like weird we were doing that. And I was like, this is so cool. I can start templatizing these patterns. And then I started working in the industry and just saw how crazy everything was. And so one point I switched over to kind of tech and I built out a company um, with a co-founder called The Coterie. It was the first company I was part of, the first tech company. And we kind of built it almost like a Teespring on crack kind of deal. It was like, you could go in and choose every part of the t-shirt and we were crafting these out Then I worked at another startup that was kind of digitizing it, but it was more of the whole production process on the back end. And then when that one went under, I was kind of like, why am I doing this with people? I know what I want to build. So I just started building it myself. But yeah, it's definitely been built out of a need that I had. And when did you first become interested in technology? I had been laid off from my fifth fashion design job. Stop. I started... Wait, Seriously. you were laid oh, off from five? Yeah, before I was, I was like 
probably, I was under 30 for sure. Oh, that is so inspiring. I love going down this pathway because I think our lives are filled with these experiences of like acceptance and rejection. And sometimes when there's a lot of rejection, we start to question our value and question our worth. So I love that we're going down this way because here you just shared, and I'm so excited to get into it, that you were laid off from five jobs and then you went on to like create this amazing company. So please, yes, share about the layoffs. That's so inspiring. Yeah, yeah, no. Snashin is kind of a crazy business. I mean, it's pretty volatile. And I, I used to work in activewear specifically. I was in Denver, Colorado at the time. So there's not a whole lot of fashion either. I'll just be really honest. My fashion was like, you know, building bicycle pants for guys. I had gone through many different technical design and product developer jobs and I got laid off and I was just like, this is kind of dumb. I'm just going to start a company and start helping people do this. So I started freelancing and building tech packs and meeting people and teaching them how to source their fabrics. And I got involved with the Denver Design Incubator. And through that, I got a job at a video game company that made products for video game stuff like clothing for Mass Effect and, uh, you know, other things. And he kind of pulled me off the market (laughs) by giving me this like big contract and then regretted it because I worked so fast that I didn't have any more work to do. So he put me on this side project where he was building a Teespring-like app. The other person building it was um, a, a woman named Charlotte and she was the CTO and her and I just sat down and within two weeks we had it wireframed and we're like building it. So then I just became co-founder and we kind of took off with it. And that was my first introduction to tech. Throughout the journey of your career, what would you say is a huge obstacle you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? Oh, well, so like the thing you were saying about how there's always these like negative moments and they turn into good moments. So that's just kind of a constant in life. I'll tell you the the startup I moved out to LA for kind of crashed and burned when a customer didn't pay them $2 million. Like, annihilated the company. Everybody got laid off and everyone was super mad, but I kind of wasn't. I was kind of like, okay. But I think that's because I had gone through like an industry like fashion where I'd been laid off multiple times and I was like, okay, shit happens. I don't know. And you know, startups are like that. I think I just thrive in that environment. And so what I did when that happened is I just told them, hey, you guys owe me some money. Why don't I just take the sample room I built for you? And and then I took it and I took three of the employees and I went down the street and I started an agency. And that's how I started Modern Brands is I started the agency first, tested it out and kind of stealth in the back end. And then pandemic was coming but I didn't know that. This is the luckiest thing that's probably happened oh, wow. in my Tell whole me. life. So um, I had this whole little small factory because we adopted it and moved it down the street and we were going and I was at this place in my business where I had to kind of choose, do I want to be more of a factory and keep this going and like hire more sewers and make this work? Or do I want to build this tech thing that I've been in love with for years and years and years that I've been wanting to build? I just kind of was like, you know what? I'm just done. I don't want to do the factory anymore. So the three people that I brought with me were sewing members, sewing team. And I gave them the factory and they now have their own small production unit in LA because I gave them all the machines and everything that I had used my back pay for. So that's great. I still work with them, but I was able to come home and, you know, work from home. I was having a baby 
and then the pandemic hit. So it, like all three of those things kind of converged and it could have been really bad, but I just took it as a really awesome time to like, you know, sit in my office and work really hard on my tech. And I then went searching for my co-founder and eventually found her after lots of dumpster fire angel list tech bro interviews. <laughs> but yeah, that's, you know, you just like have to ride the waves of the ups and downs. And I wouldn't have this company if the other company wouldn't have like gone out of business and completely fell apart. And that's what you have to do when you work. I think you have to do that when you work anywhere, but I think specifically I learned that lesson going through the layoffs in fashion and then going through the layoffs in tech and always working for small to mid-sized companies and watching the owners. You know, it's a struggle to keep your company going. I'm curious, was there any pushback from the company that was folding when you're like, hey, you owe me money? First of all, did it take courage on your end to say, hey, you owe me money, why don't you give me this? And then when you asked for that, was there any pushback? No pushback because I think it was just an easy thing to do for them. I don't think it really took courage to say that because it's not that they weren't paying people. I think what I saw during that is I saw a bunch of people. So we were we were at our peak in that company. We were like a 50-person team. And towards the end, like it was, you could see it. The writing was on the wall. Then we knew the company didn't pay. And then everything kind of started unraveling. But some people were getting so, so, so pissed off. And it's like, you look at the founders and you look at the people working so hard in this company. And it's not to say that like people can't get pissed off or whatever. I just think that like nobody starts a company and like wants it to die. You know, <laughs> I felt so bad for the founder too, because like they were just scrambling, trying to get their stuff together. And, um, I think it does take courage, but I think also it just takes a certain mindset. I, you asked a question the other day on Twitter that I answered, which was like, you know, what's a good piece of advice? And one of my favorite things that somebody told me once when I was really young was always work like you own the company. And I just always do that. It's gotten me in trouble a lot. But for the most part, that's how I've always been working. I think that's a great approach to have. So how has it gotten you into trouble? I imagine it's gotten you into trouble. I'm just making a guess from a team standpoint, people maybe feel threatened or that you're stepping on their toes or am I totally off base? That probably did happen. Like when I was like higher up where I got in trouble with that mentality was more when I was um, like on the lower rungs working in fashion where I would be like an assistant or a technical designer or something like that. And people just wanted me to stay in my lane, you know? So it was like, if I'm in technical design and I'm asking a question about why production's paying a factory like this, or why are we doing this this way? And they're just like, I don't know, just sit down at your desk and do your job. And I, I did get told that once. And I was like, I don't want to sit at my desk. <laughs> I want to yeah. go over here. Yeah. Um, and I think some people are suited for that, like get, get in their lane and just go really fast and really hard. And, and, but that's just not me. And maybe that's why I like owning companies is because, you know, you kind of have to stick your hand in every little lane and every little pot and bounce from here to there Totally. And make sure everything's going and ask those questions. You know, I've had that too. I've had, I don't think I was aware of it at the time, but being that, I've been a founder the majority of my career. I've had that when I've worked at a job where 
I'm like, I don't get it. Like, what's the problem with me wanting to be useful across the board? <laughs> like, you know, so I, I can relate, but I didn't have that comprehension at the time. I was just really confused and like reflecting back. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I get, it. yeah, it's pretty much what you said. It would have been easier for others if I just stayed in my lane <laughs> for whatever reason. I think looking back to, I'm kind of like at, at one part of it, I'm like, okay, that was kind of lame that you told me to stay in my lane. But then looking back also in another way, I'm kind of like, okay, you kind of hired me to do this one job. And I probably should have just been like really doing my job um, instead of worrying about all the other stuff. But um, I love it in my company when people ask questions about everything because nothing drives me a little more crazy than somebody just like, you know, pushing a button and being like, well, that's what I was told to do. So I would much rather the questions. Totally. Having been a founder the majority of my career, I also feel an allegiance to every founder. So I'm like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure the founder wins, which isn't the best. It's like you have to balance teammanship with that. It's like, it's super complicated. I don't know. I salute everyone who works in the large corporations of the world and has mastered like teammanship and balancing like all the things. It is a, a skill. <laughs> totally. And, and like, they know how to talk. Sometimes I feel like I just, because I've also been mostly in my own businesses, my career, I kind of just say whatever I want, whatever I want, however I want, you know, that's definitely a skill that I, 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 I don't know how long I would last in a corporate environment. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. What's the best piece of guidance that you think you've gotten throughout your career that's really helped you and stayed with you over the years? I don't know if it's necessarily guidance, but, you know, for many years I went in and out of working in fashion jobs and then doing my own thing where I'd have my own line or I had my own brand or I was doing something creative. And then I was always like paying the bills by waiting tables or, you know, doing those kinds of things. And I think until I, I got to one certain job where I worked at a restaurant and somebody actually took an interest in the creative stuff I was doing as well, I kind of just thought that that was the life of a creative, like that I was supposed to struggle so hard just to be able to have the privilege to do art. And I think some of that came from being in a, a blue collar family too, that I didn't really think I could turn it into something. And he was somebody who didn't go to college and worked in the restaurant industry and kind of brought himself along and realizing that he could be creative, but also combined all this creativity through business really started me kind of down the path of thinking about how can I do things where I'm not just working for this place and then being creative on the side and walking that line of I'm designing yoga pants, but I'm also making these crazy avant-garde like dresses and putting them on runways. So how, how do I like actually have a business that works? that's when I started getting into startups and started actually running businesses that actually made money and went places. And it, it was being able to learn that I could take that creativity and apply it to business principles and that it was okay, that everything would be fine and work out. I can work just as hard, but put all my energy towards business part of it and it would work out. So I don't know that he knows that he did that for me, but he did that for me. That's awesome. So you're a mom of two children. How do you balance being a mom, being a driven woman, and having a personal life? Like, how do you make it all work so that 
you can still breathe. Well, the personal life thing, I might argue with you a little bit. <laughs> um, I have a teenage kid and I, and I have a, a one-year-old. So it's very interesting at our house. Um, and my husband is also a founder, a tech company founder. So we have a very interesting, active, weird life. How we balance it, we take a lot of turns. Our 15-year-old helps a little bit. And then we have a nanny and so that's really nice. But yeah, it's a, it's a little hard. I find myself with a little bit less patience in certain networking events and other things because I'm kind of like, I don't really have time to sit here and bro down. <laughs> I have stuff to do. <laughs> um, or I have, uh, you know, I, I, I have other things to talk about or do. So I, I tend to, and they make fun of me in the business a little bit, but we're an all woman team. And it's just kind of, I, I find myself more and more attracted to just women founders and women people in general, because we just don't have all this bullshit on top of our talking. Like we don't have time for that. We're just like, get to the core of it and go. And it's not that it's not authentic. It's just, that's what I've noticed since I had the baby. I'm kind of like, ah, a little busy. So I like to get, I get right to it. I'm curious, having a life partner who's also a tech founder, I feel that if, if my life partner was a tech founder, it would make it easier because it would make my lifestyle and how I think about the world a lot more understood. And I think somebody who's not a founder has a really hard time understanding our choices and our sacrifices and how we utilize our time. Is that accurate for you? Like, do you do you feel that way? Or I don't know, because I'm very single. Does having a life partner who's also a tech founder, does that make things easier or is it kind of neutral? I'm just going to be super blunt. My ex-husband was not a tech founder. <laughs> um, I think there, there's a reason why we're not together anymore, right? It just didn't really work. And then now I feel like it's kind of a superpower you know, we both understand each other. We wake up in the morning and we're talking about our startups. And that probably sounds really annoying to anybody that's listening that's not a startup founder. But being able to wake up in the morning and talk about, you know, something stupid like product market fit or, you know, how this investment call went or like whatever happened. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And then, you know, we talk, we do some angel investments together and stuff like that. And it, it's just awesome. It's, it's really is a superpower, I think, for sure. So is there a woman in tech that you think we should check out that, that you've just like really admired their work? Who would that be? Yes. If you uh, look up a company called Lita Health, Madison and Liesl um, started this, uh, I, I don't know how long ago, a few years ago, but they've been raising money. They have built a, um, basically an at-home kind of rape kit. They're currently targeting colleges, but you get to buy a rape kit from like a supermarket or from a place or from their website, download an app. It tells you how to collect your own evidence. You can talk to a nurse, you can go through the process and then you can seal the evidence and, and turn it over to the police if you want to. It's an incredibly amazing and important company. What a powerful company. Thank you so much. And we'll include it in the show notes as well. So everybody has that link there. That is incredible. I'm really glad that you shared that one. And what has been a, a book that you recommend we all read? It could be personal or professional or both. I read a lot of those like 
you know, business help books, but I don't remember any of them. But there is one book that I read a really long time ago that I'll always remember. It's called The Girl in the Flammable Skirt. And it was these short stories. And they were just weird, quirky short stories that made you think they didn't even really have a, a, a message. But it was things like you woke up one day and you had a hole in the center of your body and you could stick your hand through the hole. And I don't know why that sticks with me. It's just like, so what would happen if you woke up and there was a hole in the center of your body? It's weird. Things are going on, but you still have to eat. You still have to go to work the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something about, about like all of her stories were kind of written like that. Like, here's this weird thing. And here's what a normal person would just do. And it was like, it would take you to the crest and then kind of drop you off in this weird unknown area. And I, I, I like that for some reason. Nice. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but I definitely recommend it. I dig it. And other than modern brands, of course, what site or app do you recommend is like a must have? You have to check out. You can't live without. It's made your life so much better. Well, obviously, I'm a big fan of like WordPress and Canva. Um, I think Canva is so smart. I I still always use my WordPress for fashion because I'm a huge fan of WordPress, even though it's kind of older tech. I just feel like we would not be with where we are without something like WordPress having come along, you know? Can you share a little bit about what Canva is? Because let's not make the assumption everybody knows. Canva is amazing. I live by it. Yeah, I'm like obsessed with it. So Canva is a graphic design app where you can go in and basically it makes you a graphic designer. You don't have to learn how to do Illustrator. You don't have to learn how to draw. It gives you all of these kind of pre-formatted things where you can just type the words in and they're all structured. And then obviously it can go further, but you can get brochures and website banners. And it's a little better than going somewhere like a creative market because you're not just downloading the file and opening it in your tool. You're actually using the system to to build it and export it. So um, I think it was built really smart. I saw something on Twitter the other day where somebody was like, oh yeah, and that's probably like when an investor asked Melanie Perkins of Canva, why couldn't people just get Illustrator? You know, like that's probably something people asked her as she was raising money is like, what is the purpose of this? But I think it's really helped a lot of people, marketing people especially, get things that they need for their job without having to go through a graphic design process. Like I don't know Photoshop at all. I've had Photoshop in the past. It's very technical. I'm not a designer. I have an eye for design. Like I know when I see good design, but can I create it myself? Most likely not. And so to have Canva take out all the tech out of designing so I could just get to the end part, like is amazing. And you could create videos out of Canva. You could create like the social trailers. I mean, you could just legit. I yesterday I had to merge a bunch of photos. I use Canva. I made my clubhouse event flyer in Canva. I am so into it. Like, yeah. So if, if you're not using Canva right now, check out Canva and no Canva has not paid either one of us to say this. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's really good. I'm curious, have you been on a podcast before? Um, I have been on a podcast before a long time ago. I have a friend who started a podcast called Successful Fashion Designer. And I was on her podcast a few years ago. And her and I kind of grew up in the industry together. So that was really fun. Well, I'm excited that you've been able to be on the Women in Tech podcast. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up? 
No, just if you are at all interested in starting a brand, building anything in clothing, know anybody that is, usually people know someone that is, send them to Modern Brands. And how can people connect with you? You can connect with me at Trisha at Modern Brands. You can find me on Twitter at T-Rex Will Eat You. And uh, yeah, Modern Brands, you can, you can, there's a button. You can just click the time to schedule a consult with me. I'd be happy to chat with anyone. And can you spell your Twitter for everybody? <laughs> T-R-E-X-W-I-L-L-E-A-T-Y-O-U. I mean, it's so fun. T-Rex will eat you. <laughs> what is that even about? <laughs> I have to know. Okay. It's just been a nickname for me for a little while. Cause I guess, um, so I grew up in Colorado and people are a little laid back in Colorado and I was <laughs> never quite so laid back. I'm pretty direct. And they were like, you should move to New York. You're like a T-Rex. And then that kind of stuck as a nickname. And I was like, yeah, don't hang out with T-Rexes. They'll eat you. <laughs> that just became my handle. I don't know. I've had it forever. I mean, it's so fun. Well, thank you so much, Trisha, for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world. Remember, go to the Women in Tech community at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Trisha Hope from the CEO of Modern Brands. Modern Brands is like a WordPress for fashion. I am based in Los Angeles, California, and you are listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.